All right, as we look to the Word of God, please go ahead and open up your Bibles to Proverbs 15. And we're going to read Proverbs 15, 30 through 33, and later we're going to reference James. So be ready to turn there when the time comes. Tonight we're going to talk about how to cultivate wisdom in this series on life together. How to cultivate wisdom. So let's go ahead and stand together for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 15, 30 through 33. These are the words of God. Bright eyes gladden the heart. A good report puts fat on the bones. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will lodge among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises his soul, but he who listens to reproof acquires a heart of wisdom. The fear of Yahweh is the discipline leading to, to wisdom, and before glory comes humility. Let's pray. Our Father and Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom through Christ our Lord. And amen. You can be seated. So far in this series, we have dealt with both the negative and positive aspects of Christian community. The Bible calls us to experience, to enrich, and grow in life together. And there are certain things, of course, that can get in the way of that high calling. Man-pleasing, uh, misuse of the tongue, broken trust, and other relational strains can be enumerated there. But there are tremendous blessings when the positive avenues are pursued, when we are equipped to know how to change in concert with the Holy Spirit, how to handle conflict in a manner consistent with Scripture, and when we learn how to build and maintain trust with others, those negative temptations, those, those negative problems then tend to go away, so long as we are equipped in, in thinking biblically about how to do these various things. Availing oneself to the means of grace, when we talk about the means of grace, the Word of God, the covenant ordinances of baptism, the Lord's Supper, availing oneself to those means of grace aids us in our spiritual growth. Of course, that presupposes you're paying attention to them. How often do you think about your own baptism and what that means? Do you reflect on that? Do you reflect on God's promises to you in that? Um, and how often have we come to the Lord's table with hearts that have been uh, maybe divided or preoccupied. But when we avail ourselves to these things, it does aid our spiritual growth. Certainly Holy, the Holy Spirit works in those things. And the Holy Spirit's job is to enable believers to receive, through those things, the benefits of Christ's redemptive work. So through those means, the Holy Spirit, His task in your life is to take the work of Christ and stuff it in there. And make sure that your mind understands it, your heart is, is thinking it through and feeling it, and all of those aspects of our lives. I'll give you an example. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So if you want to cultivate and increase faith, it comes from the word, he says. If you want to increase those things in your life, it comes from the word. If you want to fight temptation, then run to the word of God in prayer. Uh, Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, so do not expect to have it on your own volition. Sometimes we'd like, I can handle this sin on my own. I can do it my way. I can, I can really work this out on my terms. That's not, that's not at all how it works. So these things are called a means of grace for a reason. They are truly a means 
of grace. And tonight we're going to consider the biblical concept of wisdom, how to cultivate it in your life so that foolishness and sin and folly, all of those things are far from you. At its root, wisdom is, well, especially when you think about it in the Jewish ancient Near Eastern world and life view, wisdom is the bequeathal of righteous conduct to the heart, the religious center of man. It's a very basic definition. Uh, wisdom is the bequeathal. When you think about something that's bequeathed to you, it's given to you, it's granted to you, and that's granted a, a righteous conduct. And you think righteous conduct, well, that's outside, right? That's like what I do. Well, yes, but it starts in the human heart. That's the center of your life. Think of it this way. Proverbs 1.7 reads, The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. Some translations say instruction. Discipline, instruction. I like the discipline uh, translation here. But biblical wisdom refers to the acquisition of life skills through the alignment of the heart with the will of God. Uh, I don't really know how, well, we're going to give you kind of various angles of that, but if you think about it, biblical wisdom itself is the acquisition of life skills. Think about life skills, and I'm not talking about like your, your uh, capacity to do woodworking, albeit maybe that's part of it. Certainly the Spirit of God came on certain men all the way back in Genesis to invent things like blacksmithing and woodworking and you know, uh, musical instruments and all that sort of stuff. But it's the acquisition of life skills through the alignment, though, of the heart with the will of God. That's biblical wisdom, having your heart aligned with the will of God. So, for instance, in this case, um, conduct changes. You go from, especially when you become a Christian, you go from, uh, it switches. You You used to love a certain thing, well, now you hate it. And then, you know, I used to hate these things, well, now I love these things, and there's a massive switch that goes on, and so there's conduct and, and habits that change um, in your life. Priority, priorities are reproportioned to honor the living God. Um, the prerequisite to obtaining such wisdom, of course, is the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit grants us the wisdom of Christ so that we can exhibit and exercise godliness each day. Utilizing knowledge in a skilled manner demonstrates insight. You know, you might have a particular skill set. The Holy Spirit's equipped you in such a way. You can, you can do certain things. You, don't, you, you have insight. Um, it gives you discernment. Uh, having wisdom gives you discernment in, in your life, and, and it realigns common sense. Uh, that's wisdom. That's biblical wisdom. And think about it. When, when we think about someone who is wise, someone who we, we just think they're really they're really wise. We appreciate their fill-in-the-blank. People who are wise, we admire their self-awareness. You know, they're, not, they're not boastful. They're, they're, they're humble. We admire, we, we, we admire the fact that they know who they are, and they know what they're good at, what they're not good at, and they know boasting in the Lord is all that matters. We admire their ability to exercise good judgment. They make good decisions. Um, they're not constantly making bad decision after bad decision. We admire the fact that they have wisdom, and they seem to be able to know how to handle situations. Think of Solomon and the two women that were fighting over the baby. Uh, we admire their capacity for judiciousness and shrewdness. You know, they just seem to have 
uh, the ability to be even keeled. They're, they're not in a hurry to make a decision, but they also don't take 10 years to make one. <laughs> we just appreciate that they seem stable. They're not wishy-washy. They're not bouncing around from one thing to another. You know, they read one book on one topic and all of a sudden they're the expert on it and they're telling the whole world about it. And then five months later they move on to the next thing and it just becomes this instability in their life. We don't really admire people like that because it doesn't seem to exhibit um, wisdom, but actually foolishness. So think of people in your life who you think are wise. What is it that you love about them and appreciate about them? They, oftentimes these people are meek, they're humble, they're confident, but they're not arrogant about it. Wisdom, then, is a disposition of life that stems from a well-cultivated relationship with King Jesus. Wisdom is a disposition of life. It's a certain disposition that you have in life towards everything else, and it stems from a well-cultivated relationship with King Jesus. That's how wisdom is cultivated, ultimately, is you know who Christ is, you know who you are, you know the work of the Spirit. You're involved in the means of grace. You're in prayer. You're looking at the Word. You're growing, as we'll see later. Uh, that, is, that is how you get wisdom. Now, at its core, the cultivation of wisdom requires self-awareness. At its core, it requires self-awareness. Do you see yourself clearly? Are you aware that you, like the rest of us, are prone to blind spots? And do you have the humility to acknowledge that? Are you more prone to compare yourself to uh, or with others rather than comparing yourself with Scripture? Is your life marked by discipline or chaos? See, discipline, this is my own definition, discipline is the execution of self-rule. That's what discipline is. And oftentimes, in even our parenting, we think of discipline as consequences. No, discipline, first and foremost, is the execution of self-rule. Self-rule breaks down. Something happened. The siblings fought. The kids argue with each other. Self-rule was broken. So to discipline someone is to teach them how to recover self-rule. It's not just jumping to consequences, because oftentimes the consequences are actually obvious because either something's broken or someone's crying or, you know, there's, there's always some consequence that comes out of it. But discipline, first and foremost, the padia in Greek, that is the execution of self-rule. Proverbs 25, 28 reads in the King James Version, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That's Proverbs 25, 28. So a man who lacks discipline lacks wisdom. He is defenseless. He is susceptible to destruction from the outside. He's like a city without walls, indefensible. Anything that comes, the smallest of threats come and can lay waste to the entire person. Now, a city without walls in the ancient world, of course, it was ripe for destruction. You had walls in cities so as to have some sort of fortress and defense against the enemy. So don't be that man of that city, essentially. If you don't have rule over yourself, you are in a very precarious situation. What we are after is self-mastery. Self-mastery or self-leadership. Protection from folly, reproach, and temptation. Wisdom is found when self 
excavation occurs, when we, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we send out a search party to the caverns of our hearts in order to make sure that any deviation from the Lord is put to death and squashed immediately. Kind of in the spirit of John Owen who once said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's self-mastery, that's self-leadership, that's self-rule, that's self-excavation. Self-leadership, all of it from a humble fear of Yahweh. Let's look at our text here in Proverbs 15. We are told in verse 30 that bright eyes gladden the heart. Bright eyes gladden the heart, which is to say someone looking at you with a friendly gleam in their eye can refresh the heart with merriment. Inner joy in one's heart can be communicated through, through eye contact. You can look at someone's eyes and you can know, is something really disturbing going on in their eyes, in their soul? You can tell. And you can also tell when someone is, is overflowing with joy just through looking at the win- through the window of the soul, the eyes. And when you see someone through their eyes that they have joy, joy can be communicated without even words, can be communicated to one's own heart. And the other side of this is true. Eyes that behold something glorious rejoices the heart. So the counterpart is this in the second part of the verse. A good report puts fat on the bones. That's a good literal translation from the LSB. In other words, good news renews strength in the body all the way down to the bones. Good news. Good news about that pay raise at work. Good news about... You know, a politician actually made a good decision. Um, Good news, (laughs) a wide swath of good news, right? Obviously, Christ being the ultimate good news, we'll talk later. But good news brings strength to the body. It's like putting fat on the bones. It it brings, think of the valley of dry bones in, in, in uh, in Ezekiel. Now, in the same way, verse 31 says that he whose ear listens to the life giving reproof will lodge among the wise. We have a tendency to want to embrace joy and good news while thinking that something like correction and reproof is actually a tremendous waste of time. Woe to the man who does not think he has anything to learn. Or woman, or child. See, we we have a tendency to think, oh, joy, good news, yes, yes, give it to me, right? Oh, correction? I don't want that. And yet, what we do with our ear is just as important as what we do with our eyes. Hearing correction, that is, valuing reproof, is a way of wisdom. Truth, of course, can be sharp, bitter, and difficult to swallow, but it is a cure-all medicine for the soul. It's hard to hear things, isn't it, sometimes? We, sometimes we just don't open up to other people. It's hard to hear truth about who we are but it's actually a medicine for the soul. It's a cure-all medicine. Correction in this case is life-giving, not life-taking. Proverbs 6.23 reminds us, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. You will never get wisdom in your life if you don't love correction, ever. Children, listen carefully. You will not get wisdom in your life if you do not love correction. And the correction ranges, obviously there's a scale to it, but essentially it's someone who has, it could be a correction from the Word, by the way. You could just be reading the Bible and think, oh, wow, this hit me hard. Good, love that. Even, I don't care how hard it hits, love that. 
But it could be a parent coming to you, kids, and saying, this was not right. And don't go the way of pity. Oh, woe is me. No, cast your burdens on Christ. Know that you're loved in Him. But take that correction and say, yes, this was not the right way to do this. I have deviated from the path. I need to be brought back. I love being brought back. Because that's where love is. That's where light is. That's where Christ is on that path. It's His path. So where your trust is, there you expect happiness, you expect joy, you expect correction and guidance. And another way to say this is being teachable puts you among the wise and sets you on the path of life. Someone who is teachable is someone who will sit with the wise. Verse 32 reinforces the pattern for wisdom. He who neglects discipline despises his soul. Note that one. He who neglects discipline, think about it. Think about my definition. I'm trying to work with Proverbs here as I survey the whole book. Discipline is the execution of self-rule. He who neglects the execution of self-rule despises his soul. But he who listens to reproof acquires a heart of wisdom. So ignoring discipline and instruction, the Bible says, is actually self-hatred. It's, it's self-sinning, sinning against the self. Stated another way, those who aren't teachable hate themselves. Pride has captivated the heart. Proverbs 8.36 warns, but he who sins against me does violence to his own soul. All those who hate me love death. If you have ears to hear, you will gain a heart. If you are closed off, you will despise your own soul. One is self-destructive, one is life-giving. The Bishop Valerian once said, the person who has spurned the warnings of discipline in order to occupy himself with the devil's business is indeed the foe of his own soul. Proverbs 19 Verse 8 adds to the discussion, He who acquires a heart of wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps discernment will find good. And verse 33 rounds out the discussion. The fear of Yahweh is the discipline leading to wisdom. And before glory comes humility. I love that verse. Before glory comes humility. Jesus is the perfect example of that. Now, wisdom costs a lot, but the return on investment is, of course, a hundredfold. The school of wisdom is sometimes unflattering, sometimes it's scathing, and frankly, sometimes it's strenuous. However, the graduate is always better for having walked this difficult road. The text here says that the discipline of fearing Yahweh leads to wisdom. That's really the entry point. The fear of Yahweh is the door to get into this building of wisdom. It's joy for the heart. It's rejuvenation for the bones. A prerequisite for sitting with the wise. It rebukes the complacent and rewards its adherence. Fearing Yahweh is the whole thing. Fearing the Lord is the whole thing. The key to wisdom and honor is a respect for God which shows up in a humble heart. You think, how, how do I fear God day to day? How do I fear God day to day? Well, look to the ground. Remember, that's where you came from. 
Humility is the correlate in this sentence to fearing, respecting, and treasuring the Lord. Good news matures us, but guess what? So does criticism from the Word. So would you be wise? Would you be wise then? Then have a rightly ordered heart submitted to God's chastisement and oversight. Would you receive glory? Then cast yourself down in humility. I love what John Trapp, the commentator, Puritan commentator, he said, the lower any descend in humiliation, the higher they shall ascend in exaltation. The lower this foundation of humility is laid, the higher shall the roof of honor be overlaid. Flip with me to James chapter 3. All the way back toward the back of your Bible. It's right after the book of Hebrews, by the way. James chapter 3. James uh, illustrates for us the nature of, of wisdom and how there is essentially uh, this antithesis of wisdom in history. Remember, the serpent thought he was wise in getting Adam and Eve to rebel against God. Turns out that was foolishness. Uh, there's a war that traces itself all the way down through history. It's a wisdom war. It's a, a war of the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. Look at verse 13. Who among us, excuse me, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good conduct his works in the gentleness of wisdom. We'll stop there for a second. Because speech is the criterion it's the criterion of character. James says that wisdom is needed in order to advance in holiness. Wisdom is needed in order to advance in holiness. Speech tells us about the man, which means that when we speak to others uh, or ourselves, frankly, we are revealing our heart's condition. So speech is always that primary window to the heart. So you know where someone's heart is by where they're, how they're communicating. And the only way to advance in good behavior, James says, is to exhibit wisdom through the vehicle of gentleness. That's why meekness and humility is the key to, to wisdom. But there is a war of wisdom happening. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men. There is a humanist wisdom. There's a godly wisdom. James will show us the difference. Okay? So you, you think about the reaction to the Dobbs decision. Who were the ones lighting things on fire, spitting on others, and screaming, yelling, my body, my choice? Right? Who were the ones that, I mean, you, you know, you throw a rock into a pack of wolves, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. But what does that reveal? What does all of that hoopla reveal? It tells us a lot about wisdom. Look at verse 14, 15 and 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not coming down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil practice. That word natural there means unspiritual. It's, it's created. It's of the fallen order. Humanist wisdom, that is the wisdom of man, is about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It is arrogance, a zealousness of pride and constant quarreling and strife. It cares not about ethics and godliness and righteousness. 
James says that although this type of wisdom claims to be of God, it is actually, in his words, demonic. It's demonic. It's earthly and natural. It's, it's, it's fallen. It's sinful. It's, it's from um, men who have fallen apart from God. It's of the devil. And when this exists, there is nothing but disorder. There's nothing but strife, tumultuous upheaval. That is the wisdom of men. It's the thing that destroys order and harmony and peace in a culture, in a nation. The consequence of humanist wisdom is destruction and death. So look no further, by the way, than the wisdom of communism the past couple hundred years. Verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above, he's contrasting here, the wisdom from above, that is heavenly wisdom, is pure, at first pure, then peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without doubting, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want to be wise? Here you go. Right here. True godly wisdom, then, is from above, which is to say it comes from God himself who is wisdom. It's pure, it's holy, it's peaceable, it's, it's gentle, it's quiet, it's not boisterous. It is willing to yield its own way, and this is because it wants to make room for other people. It's loving, it's self-sacrificial. Mercy abounds, uh, good fruits abound. There, there's no hypocrisy here. There's no death and destruction. There is victory, there is righteousness, there is peace. There is sincerity towards others. Honesty at every turn. There's no play acting, there's no gossip, there's no slander. There is only blessing towards others. And if you want to reap peace, then guess what? If you want to reap peace in your life, you have to sow peace. Who is the wise man, James asks. After all, isn't every Christian automatically wise and always correct? And the answer is, real wisdom is humble, meek, and patient. James wants us to be consistent in our living. He wants us to be consistent. In his mind, wisdom is the spirit-granted righteous establishment of the heart and mind for proper conduct and living. Wisdom is the spirit-granted. It's the spirit-granted righteous establishment. Spirit-granted righteous establishment of the heart and mind, although those are basically the same thing in the biblical worldview for proper conduct and living. If you want wisdom, you get it from the Holy Spirit who brings it to you from the throne room of God, and He righteously establishes your heart for proper conduct, proper living. And the way the Spirit grants it to us depends on where we place our fear, where we place our reverence. If we fear men more than God, what will happen? Will, we, will that lead to wisdom? Not at all. Wisdom from above looks a whole lot like Jesus who came down from above. Self-emptying, self-giving, meek, saturated sacrifice. Meek, saturated sacrifice. So how do we live in light of this? Well, the, the book of Proverbs is replete with warnings against folly. Take a month, read a chapter a day, you'll finish it in a month. In fact, I would recommend reading it two or three times in that one day. You know, you'll, you'll get it in 30 days. It's 31 chapters. There are warnings against adultery, and folly actually is likened to the adulterous woman. Proverbs warns against 
indolence or slothfulness, um, laziness is ruinous. Solomon says elsewhere in Ecclesiastes 10.18, through indolence the beams sag and through slack hands the house leaks. So don't trust the lazy man to build the house, it'll crumble on you. Proverbs 10.4 reads, Poor is he who works with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or how, how about Proverbs 12.24, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. See, we were created to work and work hard, serving the Lord as His priestly vicegerents. Wisdom itself calls, calls on us to labor joyfully each and every day with a Sabbath day once a week to rest. And when we ignore work, our lives become convoluted, tangled, messy. Stuff breaks. Relationships break down. Families break down. Jobs break down. Um, if you're not busy doing what God has called you to do, you will be very tempted to start criticizing others because you'll do it from a position of jealousy. So sloth or indolence, laziness, reaps nothing because it sows nothing. The book of Proverbs also warns us against double-mindedness. In chapter 25, verse 26, like a muddied spring in a corrupted well is a righteous man shaking before the wicked. Double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Folly will hunt you down if your heart is divided for any reason. We also have warnings, about, uh, warnings against withholding forgiveness. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close companions. Proverbs 17, 9. So wisdom says to cover transgressions, not repeat them. We also have warnings against venting your spirit, or, or as uh, we say in our day, running one's mouth. <laughs> uh, we're told in chapter 20, verse 3, that it is a glory for a man to seize quarreling, but any ignorant fool will break out in dispute. That is, uh, strife isn't something we, that should be pursued, and yet people do it, oftentimes thriving on it. Don't forget Proverbs 6, one of my favorite verses to read out in front of abortion clinic because all of this is present there. There are six things which Yahweh hates, even seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked thoughts, feet that hasten to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. If God hates it, then we must hate it. Consequently, wisdom is simply aligning the heart, the mind, the hands with the standards of God. Wisdom, thinking about the book of Proverbs here, wisdom inherits, foolishness squanders. Wisdom is wealth, foolishness is poverty. Wisdom builds, folly destroys. You guys have seen recently the, the paintings that are getting soup, there was one that happened yesterday. They put mashed potatoes on a, another famous painting. And you just think, like, no appreciation for beauty. Even if we may disagree with the artist and, you know, just sort of that. That's foolishness. Wisdom paints beauty. Folly throws mashed potatoes on it. Wisdom sacrifices. Folly is selfish. Wisdom gives knowledge. How'd you get mashed potatoes in the... Anyway, that's different. Wisdom gives knowledge. Folly gives false reports. 
Wisdom is quick to listen. Folly is quick to speak. Wisdom learns for growth. Folly returns to itself repeatedly. Wisdom multiplies. Folly subtracts. Wisdom deals with the heart. Folly deals in pragmatism. Wisdom gives. Folly takes. Wisdom is patient. Folly is hurried. Wisdom is generous. Folly withholds. Wisdom rejoices in truth no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Folly conceals, hides, and embraces the lie. You get the picture. Now I want to close with five simple steps because that's what we've been doing in this series. Five steps to cultivating wisdom in your life. And these are, in my view, simple yet demanding things that are necessary in order to grow and mature And children, again, these are just as much for you as they are for your parents. It's for all of us. Number one, it's easy. Ask ask for wisdom. (laughs) Ask for wisdom. James 1.5, you can put your Bible verse there next to that. When you ask for wisdom, James tells us, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If you lack it, ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And you might think, well, why ask God for wisdom? Well, it's because he's the fountain of all wisdom. If you want wisdom, ask for wisdom, but be sure to drink deeply from these living waters. James actually says later in chapter 4, verse 3, you ask, but you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures. So if you're going to ask, make sure you're asking with righteous motives. You know, no doubt James the brother of our Lord remembered what Jesus had said in John 14, 14. If, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus says, all these things will be added to you, Matthew 6, 33. So if you want wisdom, ask and have the audacity to believe that God will grant your request. If it's pure heart, it cannot be selfish. Number two, be in the word consistently. There's a challenge. We need to ask for wisdom, but we need to be in the Word consistently. Knowing who we are can only be done when we discover who God is. We learn about ourselves when we learn about God. And when we learn about God, we run. How we learn about God is running to the inscripturated Word. The wisdom of the world is folly. And God intends to put it to rest, by the way. Isaiah 29, 14. The wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men will be hidden. So God intends to put fault, well, it's worldly wisdom, but it's actually folly in in our categories. But we need to be in the Word consistently in order to make sure we're on the right side of that. So if you struggle to pray, run to the Word. Struggle with the tongue, run to the Word. Struggle with being on time, being put together, being um, encouraging towards others. You name it. Any of the things that we do day in and day out with other people, if you struggle with any of that, run to the Word. The thirsty man can run to the mud puddle or run to the sink. And the difference depends on your desperation and what constitutes satisfactory water for you. So run to the Word. Be in the Word consistently. That's where wisdom is found. Number three, challenge yourself to always be learning. Challenge yourself to always be learning something. (laughs) Be teachable. 
Teachability is, is a Christian virtue. Proverbs 4, 5 says, Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget and do not turn away from the sayings of my mouth. Consider Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is senseless. So if you're lacking in a certain area of your life, be it social skills, consistency in prayer, managing your time well, you know, just organizing your life, whatever the case, it behooves us to learn how to change that. Learning from the Word is in step two, but here in step three, challenging yourself to learn from books, learn from podcasts, figure out how to do things better in your life. People, you can toss that in there, although we're going to talk about that in a minute. Be willing to admit that you don't know something. Just be willing. Also be willing to admit that you were wrong. I don't know is always a good answer because truth is always the best answer. Not whatever you think might be true. You know, I was wrong is always a good answer because correction is always beneficial. That's wisdom. So if you're not up to speed in some area of your life, then learn. Learn. Find solutions. Acquire competence. You know, I, I, I'm not particularly competent at uh, plumbing, but I know some guys. <laughs> Don't settle with coasting through life. Always grow. Always learn. Always strive for excellence in everything you are putting your hand to do. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So be teachable, but learn. Pursue it. Grow. Find out more information. You want to do something at your house, or you want to learn new trade, or you're trying to just sift through this area of your life. It could be just a practical social skill. It could be any of those things. Find good resources and pursue them. Number four, Take opportunities to meditate and reflect. And by meditate, I mean biblical meditation. Not emptying your mind, <laughs> filling it with righteousness. Take opportunities to meditate and reflect. Reflect on the Word. Reflect on what you're learning in light of the Word. Sometimes you just need to read. Sit down and read the book of James. Take a month, read uh, five psalms a day, and one proverb a day, you finish both at the end of your month. Take time to really reflect on it. Take time to say, I'm going to, you know, I really want to learn the book of Hebrews. And I know, you know, I, we preached on that a couple of years ago, I think. But I'm going to dig in. I'm going to find a resource. If I don't know who has a good resource, I'm going to ask. And I'm going to find it. And I'm going to spend the next few weeks really just digging in. I want to learn more about it. I'm going to do that. Sometimes you really just need to hunker down and really study the word. But sometimes you just need a couple of verses and you need to sit and ponder that. In prayer. So reflect on the Word. Don't, don't rush through it. Be patient. And by reflection, I also mean self-assessment, right? Where, where are my thoughts going in certain circumstances? Am I more prone to fear than faith in these things, right? Um, am, I, am I taking my mind captive by the Word of God? Or am I letting doubt and worry run my life? Um, what good habits am I failing to cultivate you know, what, men, are we leading our families the way we're supposed to? It's a challenging question. But be willing to reflect on that. Um, what bad habits? Well, what good habits am I failing to cultivate, but what bad habits am I failing to put away? 
You know, reflect on those things. And habits are either consistent and conducive to godliness, or they're not. Reflect on your time, what you do with your time. We all have the same amount of time every day. Reflect on that. Your attitude, your values, the things, your, your priorities. What priorities do I have? My marriage, my family. What priorities are we striving after? Uh, reflect on your relationships with others. Reflect on your schedule. Reflect on your spiritual gifts and so on. Think about these things. What is the standard for our religious sincerity you know, are we, are we quick to not wanting to offend the Lord? Are we concerned with knowing God's will? Are we willing to deny ourselves? Learning to read your own heart is an invaluable process for growing in wisdom. The people you admire who are wise, they know how to read their own hearts. They know where they're tempted. They know how to kill sin. They have developed godly, righteous attitudes and thoughts They've taken them captive. They do not give themselves over to fear. They give themselves to the Lord. And lastly, number five, invite mentorship from others. People have heard this a million times, but, and it's, there's truth to it, no doubt. I don't mean to criticize it, but every Paul needs a Timothy, every Timothy needs a Paul, that sort of thing. Um, invite mentorship from others. Invite people to speak into your life. Proverbs 13:20 is important for this point. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the friend of fools will suffer harm. That's Proverbs 13, 20. We know Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. We know that. And, and this is because folly is relentless in his acquisition of followers. Folly loves getting a following. Wisdom is just as tenacious about it, but it takes a lot more work. Fools like an easier path, the path of least resistance, right? But cultivating wisdom in your life takes humility. It takes time. In fact, it may take a mentor, you finding a mentor. And by the way, the, uh, you must find one. They don't just jump out at you. You have to go looking for them. And by the way, um, the best mentors aren't the ones who leap forward and saying, your life's a mess, I can mentor you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think so. Appreciate the offer, though. Find someone you trust, find someone you respect, someone whose family and lifestyle is wor worthy of mimicry. If you're struggling in one area of life, then find someone who doesn't and ask for help. And again, the path of glory is a path of humility. I mentioned this before. Wouldn't it be great if we could get to the point where we ask someone, what's your experience of me? How do you experience me? Am I off-putting? Am I arrogant? Am I uh, very quick to judge? What's your experience of me? That is a loaded question. Mentorship and accountability often looks like answering this question, but inviting mentorship is simply inviting someone to shine a light in the crevices of the heart so that they can see, because we can't, none of us can all see everything. And this, this obviously requires humility and, and grace, but everyone needs someone to speak into their lives. And above all, we must run to Christ. Above all, we must run to Christ. He became to us wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And while Solomon was a wise man, no doubt, Christ is the wisest man. Christ is the wisest man. The way of wisdom is the way of the gospel. That's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 1. Jews want signs. Greeks, Greeks want wisdom. 
but we give them Christ and we give him crucified and raised and enthroned. That's a stumbling block for the Jews. To the Greeks, they thought it was foolishness. To the pagan tribes of America, they think it's ridiculous too. But here we are. The world wants wisdom, but it wants it apart from Christ, which cannot be done. Christ is wisdom. Indeed, wisdom flows from him. Can you have wisdom without the Lord of wisdom? No, you can't. But think about it. Forgiven sins, a bloody atonement, an empty tomb, a throne that sits occupied in the heavens. Is that wisdom? Yes, it is. And we must insist upon it in a world of foolishness. The world will laugh, jeer, sneer, spit in your face, curse you out, show you certain fingers. They will attempt to silence you. They will sneer at you. But for us, we will serve the living God. Pride, writes the Puritan Stephen Sharnock, pride is self-contending with God for preeminence. The quickest way to eliminate wisdom is to elevate pride. And when faced with this temptation, friends, run to Christ. Recall his glorious gospel. Recall your righteous standing before him. Determine to walk in the Spirit, all in accordance to the Word of God. That is how we cultivate wisdom. Let's pray. Father, you've given us so much in your Word, and we are humbled by it, grateful for it. Lord, we ask, we pray that you would center us, make us stable unwavering, anchored. Help us to have not divided minds and hearts, but hearts that are set upon your throne. Help us to recall to mind what we have in Christ, which is far more valuable than what the world could ever give. God, we, d- we desire wisdom. We desire wisdom from Christ, who is our wisdom So we pray, Spirit, that you would drive us to this. Help us to root out folly and exalt righteousness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.